The following is a sermon preached at the First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi. Well, if you would take out your Bibles, they probably open automatically to the book of Romans. (laughs) But we're going to turn back one book to the book of Acts tonight. At page 918 in the Pew Bibles, we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Acts that we began back in the fall, and we'll pick up the story tonight in chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. Uh, My father-in-law reminded me recently of a a great Yogi Berra quote. Uh, Many of you know Yogi Berra was a Hall of Fame catcher for the Yankees back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, And, and in addition to everything that he accomplished on the baseball diamond... He's also famous for his many memorable Hall of Fame quotes. Uh, Some of them were ones like when he was moved, and late in his career, he was moved from the the catcher to the outfield. And he found that the shadows fell on the outfield a lot sooner than they fell on home plate. And so he said, it gets late early out here. (laughs) He also said, the future ain't what it used to be. Uh, when When you come to a fork in the road take it. He was a master of of paradox or contradiction or however you want to say it, but the one that we were talking about the other day was when he was talking about a a restaurant or a club that he used to go to, they didn't go to anymore, and he said, nobody goes there anymore, it's too crowded. (laughs) It's almost like he was saying there's nothing to see here because there's so much going on. Well, I thought about that quote when we come to Acts 9.32 because we come to this passage and it's right in between two momentous events in the book of Acts. Really right in between two monumental events in all of church history. We have in the beginning of Acts chapter 9 the conversion of Saul or the Apostle Paul, the one who will take the gospel to the end of the earth. And then in chapter 10, what we'll see next week is the gospel going to the Gentiles for the very first time as it comes to the Roman centurion named Cornelius. And so there are these two major events that, that come right at the beginning of chapter 9 and right at chapter 10. And right here in between there, 932 to 43, there's, there's not a lot that happens. There's really... Uh, not any clear instruction or command for us to follow. There's probably not any verses in this passage that you would be uh, that you would think to commit to memory. And so it may seem like there's not much going on, but it may seem that way because we've become so familiar with all that's happening in the Book of Acts and with all that's happening in the gospel stories that preceded them. You see, what we have here in this passage is not just a miraculous healing. What we have here is the first resurrection miracle in the book of Acts, one of only two, I believe, in the whole book. And so if we're tempted to think that there's not much happening in this passage, we need to think again because there is so much happening here, so much that we need to hear, so much that we need to recognize for our own lives, so much that is relevant to us personally and to us as a congregation. And what we find here in these two stories is the compassion of Christ and the power of Christ. And we need that. 
We need to see the compassion of Christ and the power of Christ when we are going through times of suffering and grief and heavy trials. And so that, that'll be our outline for tonight, the compassion of Christ and the power of Christ. Before we read, let me pray and ask God to help and give us his blessing as we read his word. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for our correction, rebuke, training, and righteousness. And so we ask that you would, by your spirit, work in us. Help us to see Christ, to see his beauty, his glory, his compassion, his power. Help us to see his compassion and his power for us, even tonight. Would you speak through us, by your spirit, for your servants listen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, "'Please come to us without delay.' So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, let's get right to the application. I got a text a few days ago from Jonathan Davis, Jonathan and Mary Lindley just returned home from MD Anderson Cancer Center after four years, four months of receiving treatment for a cancer diagnosis. At the time that Jonathan and I texted, there were five families from First Pres here in Jackson who were at MD Anderson at that time receiving treatment of some sort. Some of them who have been dealing with a disease that has impacted and has shaped their lives for over a decade. As Jonathan said to me, it's a humbling thing. Five families. Five families. That doesn't even include those who we know in recent weeks have been in ERs and ICUs and rehab centers and uh, hospital waiting rooms. There are those among us in our congregation who have undergone serious surgeries recently and are still recovering from them. There are those who have suffered with mysterious illnesses, who have suffered with chronic pain for year after year. There are those among us who recently have been laid low with unexpected sickness. 
And we felt it. We've all felt that, I think. We hurt for those who are hurting. And we also hurt for those who are taking care of those who are hurting. It may sound cliche, but I think we could all say and recognize that our hearts are heavy for those who are hurting in our congregation. And if any of you are, are listening, if you're here tonight, if you're watching on live stream, we want you to know that we think about you. We pray for you a lot. And I haven't even mentioned the deaths that have occurred in our congregation. Right around the start of this new year, I believe it's been seven members of our church family who have passed away. Uh, there are others who have lost a parent, lost a sibling, maybe a close friend in, in recent weeks, and that's really hard. We know what this passage is about, don't we? We know what this passage is about. This passage is about death. This passage is about what it's like to live in a world that is fallen and broken and cursed with sin. And yet this passage is also about the hope of the gospel for us. So what does this passage have to say to the hurting? Well, this passage has something to say about the compassion of Christ. And sure, this, these verses are about Peter, and it was Peter who went here and there. It is Peter who is the one who healed the paralytic. It is Peter who is the one who raised up the dead. But both of these events, both of these stories in these verses that we just read, they should sound familiar to us. They should sound familiar to us because they, we find similar stories that took place back in the Gospels during Jesus' ministry. They're similar to stories that we found in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 5 about a man who was paralyzed. And you know the story well about the man who was paralyzed, who was trying to get to Jesus, who couldn't get there. And so his friends started taking apart the roof and lowered him down to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Well, on, one, on the one hand, Jesus said, man, your, your sins are forgiven you. But he also said to him, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and go home. And what happened? The man rose. He took up his bed, and he went home glorifying God. And Luke also tells us another story. He tells us the story about Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8, about how Jairus had come to Jesus because his daughter was sick and dying, and yet before Jesus could get there, before he could make it to Jairus' house, the little, little girl had died. It was too late. She was already gone. And yet we remember what happened, that Jesus took her by the hand, and he said, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And I don't think that it's an accident that we find these parallel stories in both the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. There's this overlap that we find between the ministry of Jesus on the one hand and the ministry of Peter on the other. It's no coincidence. After all, if you remember how the book of Acts began, Luke began by saying that in his previous volume, in his previous account, he was writing about all that Jesus began to do and to teach before he was taken up. That's the Gospel of Luke. Now, what does that imply about what the book of Acts is about? It tells us that the book of Acts is about all that Jesus continued to do after his ascension. And so when we read about Peter saying to Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years, when he says to him, rise, when he says, rise, take up your bed, we're meant to see that this is Jesus' ministry 
through Peter by the power of the Holy Spirit to this paralyzed man. In fact, Peter says it himself, doesn't he? If you look in verse 34, he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. You see, it's Jesus who comes to him. It's Jesus who heals this man. Likewise, when Peter goes from Lydda to Joppa, and there's the crowd there who is mourning, grieving over the death of Tabitha or Dorcas, what Peter is doing is he is retracing steps that Jesus has already covered. In fact, it seems like in this verse that there is an echo of what we hear Jesus saying in uh, this particular story in the Gospel of Mark. You see, Mark tells us that when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Talitha kumi. What's what's Peter saying here in Acts chapter 9? He's saying not Talitha kumi, but Tabitha kumi. Tabitha, arise. You see what's going on there? There's a mirroring events here. And what Peter is doing is a sign pointing back to what Jesus had already done. And you notice, don't you, that when Peter heals the paralytic, when he raises the dead, the people don't turn to Peter and believe in Peter. No, when they see the healing of Aeneas and the resurrection of Dorcas, they turn to the Lord, is what verse 35 says. Verse 42 says, they believed in the Lord. They turned and believed in Jesus because Jesus is the focus of these verses. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, we find these two stories as well. The healing of the paralytic and uh, the restoration of the little girl from Jesus' ministry. They're together in the same chapter. And this is what we read at the end of Matthew chapter 9. It says that, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And then it says this, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion for them. Well, if you want to know what this passage is about, if you want to know what Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43 is about, if you want to know what it says to the hurting and the overwhelmed, if you, know what, if you want to know what's the message for those who are bedridden and for those who are taking care of those who are bedridden, if you want to know the message for those who are hurting and for those who mourn, it's this. Very simply, Jesus is full of compassion. And here in the book of Acts, which is all about the life of the early church, it's all about the spread of the gospel, what we notice is that physical pain and suffering are not second-rate issues. Emotional pain and grief are not overlooked, they're not neglected. No, those things are the concern of Peter and the apostles. Why? Because those things are the concern of Jesus. 
And one of the things that we notice in this section of the book of Acts is that so much of the early chapters were about the gospel going to the crowds, to the multitudes, the conversion of the crowds. And yet we get to this part of the book and we, we see the focus is on the one. It's on the individual. And we're told about specific people with particular names. We're told about Aeneas and we're told about Tabitha or Dorcas. Jesus, you see, he doesn't just care for the nameless multitudes. Jesus doesn't just care for the generic faceless crowds out there. No, Jesus cares for one at a time. That means that Jesus cares for you. He knows you by name. And the unique details of your particular situation are not lost on our Savior Jesus. Someone told me recently about an American professor who was leading a seminar in Ukraine not that long ago. And he was trying to give the people there, some church leaders, I believe, some, some tools, some techniques for how to, to cope and to deal with some of the harsh realities of wartime there in that country. And yet, what I heard was that his teaching, it didn't just fall flat but it actually offended the people there. They were mad. And they were mad because he could not relate to the experience of war. And yes, it was one thing to have a textbook answer or textbook tools and theories for how to deal with a time of war, but it was a whole other thing to actually have gone through war himself and to experience the pain and the difficulties that came with it. He couldn't sympathize with them because he hadn't been through it himself. You see, Jesus can sympathize. Jesus can sympathize with us because Jesus went through pain and suffering. He went through loss and tears. In fact, Jesus went all the way to death itself on the cross. Jesus can sympathize. He was made like us in every way, yet without sin. He is our sympathetic high priest. He knows what it is like. And he's full of compassion. You know, there are, there are a lot of ways in which well-intentioned people can miss the mark when they're trying to extend sympathy and comfort. And we've probably all experienced it and been, uh, had those occasions where we extended a word of comfort and it landed like a brick. We've, we've been there. But you can trust yourself to Jesus' care. And you can know that he will take care of you. And even with our failing and, and weak efforts, we still have to remember to continue to go to those who are hurting. What, is, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? That the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we can then go and comfort those in the afflictions in which they face. And we desperately need to go because when we go... In the name of Jesus, we tangibly extend the compassion and the care of Jesus to those who are hurting around us, and we need that. We need the compassion of Jesus in this fallen and broken world. We need the compassion and care of Jesus when we face the painful realities of death and dying that are all around us all the time. We need the compassion of Jesus. What else do we need? We need the power of Jesus. We need the power of Christ. 
I have a little hand-stitched card on my desk, and it was given to me by one of our church members. It was a church member who herself has dealt with serious health issues for many years, and she's done so with grace and with patience. And the card just says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. That comes from Revelation chapter 22, from the end of the Bible. And the verse says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You see, when Jesus came in his earthly life and ministry, he came proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. He said, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And when he says that the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand means that diseases are healed. It means that sins are forgiven, that evil is defeated. It means that the dead are raised. And what the kingdom of God at hand calls for is nothing other than repentance and belief, repentance and faith. What do we find in this chapter? What do we find in these verses? We find that when Peter went about Lydda and Joppa and and Sharon, we find that he was proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God had come at hand in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, his healing of the paralytic, his raising the dead, those things were confirmations about the message of Jesus. That Jesus is the one who brings forgiveness of sin. That Jesus is the one who brings life in his death and resurrection. And what do we find the people doing in response to Peter's signs and wonders here in this passage? We find that they repent and they believe. Verse 35 says, they turned to the Lord. That, that word turn is related to the word for repentance. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, we find the, the command to repent and to turn and your, that your sins may be blotted out. Repent and turn. Those are two sides of the same coin. And what we find here are the people turning to the Lord. There's repentance. And verse 42 says, And many believed in the Lord. You see, this is the good news of the kingdom. This is the good news for everyone who is suffering and everyone who is weary. This is the good news for everyone who turns and believes in the gospel, who turns and believes in the Lord Jesus. It's that one day Jesus will come and he will bring in the kingdom with all of his fullness. It will not be these little glimpses like what we find in Acts chapter 9. No, it will be the end of all tears. It will be the healing of all diseases. There will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, and death, even death, will be no more. No more dying there. Alleluia, alleluia. We are going to see the King. So I ask you, are are you weary and heavy laden? Are Are you burdened with a load of care? What Jesus says to us in this passage is, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In just a moment, we're going to come to this table. The table that Jesus has given to us. This table says to you. It says to those who are suffering and hurting. It says to us, 
come to me. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. And as we reflect on this this passage and what Jesus is doing through the ministry of Peter, we also say, like that little card on my desk, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And do away with all the sin and suffering. And the table says the same thing. The bread and the cup, we proclaim his death until he comes. And so as we take the bread and the cup tonight, we say to Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, and bring your kingdom. It's to whet our appetite for the true banquet that he has provided and secured for us. On Friday, uh, we are hosting at our church uh, a dinner and an event for uh, people with special needs and for their families. It's, it's hosted through the Johnny and Friends ministry. And uh, many of you are familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata and for her uh, ministry, her, her tremendous example of ministry over many years uh, from a wheelchair as a paraplegic. And she's served God faithfully through all those years. I read an article from her recently. And it's an article about uh, the stanza in the hymn, In Christ Alone, that she says makes her want to leap. Uh, She said that she's watched for many years as people have sung that song and they've been moved to jump up from their seats and stretch out their arms and sing with abandon. And it's often one stanza in particular. It's this. Then bursting forth, In glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And what Johnny wrote, she said, I'd give anything to join my friends at this point. I'd love to rise from my wheelchair, stand on tiptoe, throw my head back, and cry and laugh at the same time. She would love to do that. And she will. She knows that she will one day because of what that stanza is all about. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, Jesus defeated sin and death. He will give us victory over sin and death and over every suffering, sickness, sorrow, pain, grief, trial for everyone who turns and believes in him. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me. The compassion of Christ and the power of Christ and the hope of the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, there is not one here who is not accustomed and acquainted in some way with suffering and grief and trials and death. And so we pray that you would fix our eyes upon Jesus and upon his victory over sin and death, that we would even now turn and believe in him. 
that we would rest ourselves in the compassion and the power of Christ, that we would come as we approach this table, the Lord's table that Jesus has given to us to strengthen and to nurture our faith and to help us persevere through difficult things. We ask that you would help us to see, again, your compassion and your power, that you would hear us say, that we would hear you say, come, and that we would likewise say, back to you, come, Lord Jesus. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.